morning, everyone. I'm very glad to be with you this morning. Um, before we start, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, or you can grab the Bible in front of you, I would highly encourage you to open it up to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. That's where we'll be spending most of our time today. It's very easy to find. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and chapter 1 is the first chapter in Matthew. Um, If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll know that we have just finished up what we call our World Fest. It's the few weeks out of the year that we spend our time focusing on God's heart for the nation and how we as a Kettlebrook family can be involved in that. And today, being December 1st, we're going to turn our eyes from World Fest towards Christmas. And as we turn our eyes towards Christmas, we also turn our eyes towards our Christmas Eve offering. Um, If you've been with us for any length of time, you'll know that for the last eight years, we've done something really exciting here at Kettlebrook Church. We have given away our Christmas Eve offering, 100% of it, every year. It's not a small amount. It's between $35,000 and $55,000 to one of our global partners to help fuel the work God is doing through them around the world. And this year, we have an amazing opportunity to be involved in helping our partners, Eric and Molly Croner, who live in Chad, Africa, and their team push into a remote, unreached area of Chad. Molly and Eric have been partners with us for about 10 years, but maybe you've never heard of them. That's possible, but you've most likely heard of a woman named Sally. Sally is a Chadian woman who came to Christ a few years ago. Sally lives in the town where Molly and Eric live. Um, and it was through the work of their team that Sally came to Christ. And this team has worked and ministered in their town, Amtiman, but always with an eye for a further remote region. Where they live, you would all say, is remote. I think it's remote. <laughs> They're looking to go six hours further out to another region where there lives a group of people called the Runga. They've made trips to this region. In fact, they've lived there for a month at a time. But at this point, they've been unable to sort of set down roots among the Runga. And why it is important is that the Runga are what we consider an unreached people group. At this point, they are sort of basically cut off from the gospel. And so by way of introduction, I have a video I'd like to show you of the Kroners and their work. I had dreams, you know, having the nice house with the beautiful kitchen and having the youth group meet at our house, but um, God had different plans. I think. As you follow God in the small steps of faith, sometimes you get to places and you don't even know how you got there. Mm-hmm. You just, you continue to take small steps of faith and you look back and realize he was preparing you for things you never would have expected you to be ready for. Life is our offering, and we need to reframe our thought process in the sense of it's not what we, it's not just about putting money into the basket, but are we giving our whole life as an offering? And who are we to say, we'll give you this much, God? 
when he's wanting us to give everything and to live with our hands open. very southeast corner of Chad. So um, Indiana is on the um, west border of Chad. We drive 12 hours to get down to run. And that's where the ministry started. Um, and from the very beginning of ministry there, there was always a desire to minister also in, in two areas. Um, one uh, village area uh, called Abudea and another even further southeast in the very southeast corner of Chad called Faraz. Um, this is this is pioneer work. It's extremely um, exciting and challenging, um, and this area becomes completely cut off from the rest of Chad for a good five or six months out of the year. So um, this is a challenging place to serve. Um, and what's really exciting to us is um, um, we currently have um, a young woman um, who is a linguist, and her desire is to take on the major people group uh, in the Haraz, the Runga, um, and have that be her life work. One, it, allows, it will allow us to dream big. Um, two, it will allow for us to hit the ground running. And three, um, it will allow for sustainability of um, the ministry there. Um, with those resources in place, we can focus on thriving in ministry instead of just surviving. I think God is so gracious that when we think, I can't handle another moment, He gives you just what you need. Many people have heard about Sally who has come to faith and her sister Allie and Sally's children and just what God is doing miraculously. He is using her faithfulness to be drawing people to himself every single week. And how many times I say I feel like I'm living in the book of Acts but I get to see it before my eyes and I say that's worth it. and Molly up here in two weeks, um, and we'll be talking more about this in detail. But basically, our Christmas Eve gift to them will help them move with this linguist right into the region of Haraz with the hopes that the gospel may one day flow to the Runga people. Our gift will be helping them in practical, crucial ways. There's basically no infrastructure there in the region, no running water, no electricity, no medical care. The team needs to set up a base, kind of think glorified camping, where they can live and work. So if you ask yourself, how would I move with my family into a desert area that becomes cut off from the rest of Chad for a number of months a year, and how would I be able to set down a base to live and work? That is what our offering is going to be helping them do. So maybe you're wondering why. 
Why focus on people on the other side of the planet who we will never meet? Why would Kettlebrook give our money to this? Why do we care? Why would a doctor and his family leave this good life to go and settle themselves in a community in Chad, Africa? I think part of the answer comes in the verses that we read at the end of the video. They're from the book of Romans. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring Good news. The truth is that the Runga will not hear about the gospel, the good news that God made a way for them to have a relationship with him through Jesus unless someone goes to tell them. There's currently not anyone near them or like them who speaks their language who can tell them. They are basically cut off from the gospel. But how will someone go to the Runga unless they are sent? And that is where we, the Kettlebrook family, come in. We get to be a big part of sending them so that they can set down roots right among the Runga people with the hopes of sharing the gospel with them. Now, Molly and Eric are good friends of mine. I've known them for a number of years. Eric grew up right here in West Bend. He graduated from the high school. They met at UW-Madison. They are normal people like you and me. They have simply said yes to steps God has asked them to take. And they've said yes again and again and again and again. And one day they woke up and they found themselves living in a desert country in a town that turns into what they call the swamp three months out of the year during the rainy season. Now we may joke about our awful weather here, but I tell you, I would take our weather almost any day of the week over their weather. Where they live, they either have hot weather or very hot and humid or scorching hot and humid. Air conditioning is not really a thing in the city where they live. Living there is not easy. And when I think about what they do and how they live and the choices that they've made, I think it takes a certain amount of grace and kindness toward other people to give up the life you have in order to give others the chance for life. It takes a lot of sacrifice. And according to the verses we just read, Paul, who wrote these verses, might look at Molly and Eric and say, beautiful feet. Their beautiful feet are bringing the good news. Now, if you ask them, they'll tell you they love the life God has led them to. It's hard, yes, but they would not choose anything else. About six years ago, Sandy Fisher and I got to go and visit them in Chad. And one day stands out to me in particular. It was hot, as it always is. And Molly needed to buy some lettuce from the market. And so Molly and Sandy and I put on our lafais, that's the six meters of fabric that Chadian women wrap themselves up in. We slipped on our flip-flops and off we went to the market. Um, It is really hard to describe to American mindset what a Chadian market is like. Don't think West Bend Farmer's Market. It's not the same. There's tables and stalls set up sort of kittywampus everywhere with little aisles running between. There's animals walking between those aisles and people pushing carts. It's crowded and it's hot. 
And as we entered into the market, I noticed mud was squishing between my toes. And I looked down and I realized that my flip-flops were no match for the rainy season mud, the animal dung, and all manner of other things that we were walking in. And as we squished along, I remembered an article I had once read a couple of years back that talked about a mud-borne parasite in some countries in Africa that crawls into the feet of people when they walk in the mud. And I began to get a little anxious to get our lettuce and get out of the market. So I said, look, Molly, this lady right here is selling lettuce. Let's buy our lettuce from her. And Molly looked back at me and adjusted her lafai and smiled like she always does and said, well, I bought lettuce from another lady and I want to go back to that lady in the hopes that I could have a conversation with her. And so we squished on and on and on and on further and further into the market as people squished past us and donkeys squished past us. And I became very certain that there were parasites crawling in to my feet. Finally, deep in the bowels of the market, we arrived to the lettuce stand, the lettuce stand, and the ladies just lit up when they saw Molly and gave her cheek kisses and hugs and she chatted with them and we bought our lettuce and we squished our way out of the market. From there, we walked to visit a family that Molly and her teammates had been building a relationship with in the hopes of one day sharing the gospel. At this family compound lived a lady known as Sally. When we got to Sally's gate, Molly asked for water to wash our feet with. I figured it was customary, so Sandy and I did what Molly did. We washed our feet, feet clean. We went in and visited with Sally and her sisters. That night at dinner, back at home, Molly said, I was so worried about my feet at the market today. And I thought, well, thank God. I wasn't the only one thinking about the parasites. She looked at Sandy and I and said, you know our Muslim friends? For them, they have to have very clean feet, or according to the rules of Islam, they're not able to pray. And I was really concerned that my feet would be muddy by the time we got to Sally's house because I didn't want to be a hindrance to her in our relationship. I had been freaking out about parasites in my feet. Molly had one concern, that the mud on her feet would be a hindrance to the eventual bringing of the good news to this family. At that moment, God whispered to me, those are beautiful feet, Kara. Those are beautiful feet. So why do I tell you this story? I tell you it because as we sit here on December 1st and we look ahead to Christmas and we think about our Christmas Eve offering, I can't help but make a very clear connection. The reason the kroners are full of grace, full of the sort of kindness it takes, full of enough compassion to choose this for their lives, the reason they chose to leave what they know, their comfortable lives, and go live in a foreign place that's significantly harder to live, the reason they chose to uproot and actually move in among the Chadians to live among them is because of what we celebrate at Christmas. Eric and Molly follow Jesus who moved from heaven to earth to live among us. Let's pick up our Bibles where we open them to Matthew chapter 1. We'll start reading verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary 
was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Eric and Molly and their team are full of kindness and grace to people who frankly may never respond to the good news that they carry because they follow closely behind a God who has done the very same thing. A God who is full of grace, full of kindness, full of compassion toward us. They follow a God who would leave what he knows, step into this muddy, uncomfortable, uncertain world as a baby in order to make a way for people to have a relationship with him. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The book of John says this about Jesus. And the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, God came to live among us in Jesus because the feet of Jesus are the ultimate beautiful feet. And Molly and Eric follow him, and we as a family, Kettlebrook, follow him. The Runga, we could say, are currently cut off from the gospel. There's not someone near them or like them who speaks their language who can tell them about Jesus. But they aren't the only people separated from God. God came to live among us in Jesus because all of humanity was cut off from him. Way back when Adam and Eve chose their way, when they defied the God who loved them, who cared them for them, who gave them everything they needed, all of humanity became separated from God. Jill Briscoe says, as Adam and Eve left the garden, Jesus prepared to go to Bethlehem. As Adam and Eve left the garden, Jesus prepared to go to Bethlehem. When humans chose to rebel against God, to turn away from him, God put his plan into action. To come to us, to be birthed among us, to live among us, to give us a way back to him because his feet are beautiful. Because he is full of kindness, he is full of grace. And we call the celebration of this Christmas. So today, we begin our Christmas series, which we are calling Full. And today, we are going to focus on God being full of grace toward us. What we want to consider today is that God is so full of grace toward us that he came to live among us and made a way for us to have a relationship with him. So if you have that spot in your Bibles, I'm going to ask you again to open to Matthew chapter 1, because I have a question for you. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, what do you see at the start? 
What do you see at the start? Genealogy. That's right. The genealogy. I have a confession to make. When I'm reading my Bible and get to a genealogy, I normally skip over the entire thing. It's boring. I can't often pronounce the names, and they don't make sense to me. It doesn't usually hold any meaning for me, so I skip it, which is what I did when I read the scripture this morning to you. You see, the problem is I'm not usually looking at the big picture, the whole story. So a list of seemingly random names is not significant in my mind. I'm not understanding the fullness of the history of the story woven through whatever genealogy it is that I'm skipping. And maybe you feel the same way when you see this list. I get that. Maybe this looks like a list of names that don't have any meaning. And so what I want to do for our remaining few minutes together as we kick off our Christmas series is to set this this genealogy, this lineage, in its story. I want to help us see that this genealogy is actually proof that God is full of grace. That he would relentlessly step through generation after generation to come and live among us. So let's look at verse 1 and 2. A record of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And the list goes on all the way to Joseph and Jesus. Now, we could do an entire study on each one of those phrases. Jesus Christ, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. But for the next few minutes, we're going to focus on the son of Abraham part. Why is Abraham here? Why? How does he fit into this story? Why is it important, and how does it prove that God is overflowing in grace toward us? In order to figure this out, we have to take a quick look back at the story. As Jennifer mentioned in her prayer, in Genesis chapter 3, after Ab- when Adam and Eve broke fellowship with God, all of humanity became cut off from God. In describing Adam, our first father, Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people. Because all have sinned. Death came to the Runga. Death came to us. We were cut off. We were dead, as Jenny said two weeks ago. And at that moment when death came in, Jesus prepared to leave his throne in heaven for Bethlehem. So here we are, Genesis chapter 3. Humanity is cut off from God. Death has come in. But God, because he's full of grace, began his journey way back then to come live among us. And it all started with Abraham. Just a few chapters later, after this terrible moment, in Genesis 12, God visits a man named Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham. And he says this, Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation. You'll be a blessing, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You might remember Manohar brought up this very verse last week. All peoples on earth will be blessed for you. It is the key 
But what does it mean? With humanity cut off from relationship with him, God was calling Abraham to follow him. Through Abraham, God would make a people that were to be his people on earth, sort of his mouthpiece to bring people back to himself. That was the nation of Israel. And when God tells Abram that all peoples on earth will be blessed through him, he's referring to the fact that through Abraham's line, through his lineage, one would come to bless all the earth by making a way for people to have their sins forgiven. Interestingly enough, Abraham and his wife Sarah were very old and very barren at this time. You will have an offspring, Abram, who will come bless all peoples on earth. Now, if you're following me, you might be thinking to yourself, does it really say that? Isn't that a little bit of a stretch, Kara? I didn't actually see that in the verse. I think that's an excellent question. So if we leave Abraham for a moment and we fast forward to the moment before Jesus is born, we find a priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, who also happened to be very old and very barren. The angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah from out of nowhere and tells he and his wife that they are going to have a son who would be the forerunner to the Savior, that their son's job would be to point people to Jesus as the Savior. So at the birth of his son, that's John, John the Baptist we call him, all this history, all the promises he'd heard about God since he was a little Hebrew boy came into clear focus for Zechariah. He looked back through the history, back through the genealogy, and at that moment understood. And in his understanding, he breaks out in this hymn and sings, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David to show mercy to to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. And you, my child, John, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Did you catch it? Zechariah saw it. God had come to his people and redeemed them. He remembered the oath he swore to Abraham. The Lord was coming. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. If we fast forward one more time to after the death and resurrection of Jesus, to when the church was being born and all sorts of people are coming to faith in Jesus, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to one of those churches in a town called Galatia. And speaking of Jesus, he says this, The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. One would come through his own lineage who would restore people into right relationship again with God. Jesus, the son of Abraham. And that's the start of the genealogy. And so for the rest of the lineage, from Abraham to Jesus, is sort of the outline, the story of God fulfilling his promises, of God marching his way through time, full of grace, to this moment we call Christmas. And all of his promises were true. 
Israel was a great nation. Abram's name is great. The history of Israel through the Bible is a history of God blessing those who blessed Israel and cursing those who didn't. And woven throughout the history, this genealogy is the promise that one will come who will be a blessing for all people. It's like a thread that's shouting, God is full of grace. He's coming to live among you. I wish we had time to walk through the stories in this lineage because they provide like the color illustration of God working through history in his relentless pursuit to get to the point we celebrate on December 25th each year, to the moment when he became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace. The genealogy is not a boring list of names. It's the outline, the scaffolding to a story of a God who is full of grace toward us. Why would Molly and Eric and their family leave what they know, go to a hard place, and do the hard work of being beautiful feet that bring the good news? Why do we as a family care about unreached people on the other side of the planet? Because we follow the example of our God who is full of grace toward his people. Our God whose grace compelled him to come live among us so that we could be in relationship with him, so that we could know him. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came. His name was Jesus. He lived among us. He died a death he didn't deserve. He conquered sin and death by raising from the dead. His feet are the most beautiful feet. So as you look ahead to Christmas, may you have time to contemplate this. To think about, to dwell on the truth that God is full of grace toward you. May you receive that as true and look ahead to Christmas as a great celebration. May you look around you in the circles of your life and ask God, how can you best live among the people in your life who don't yet know him? And may you remember the runga who don't yet know of this good news and think about how you can be a part in helping them hear the good news of the one who came to live among them. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you that even when our first father, Adam, ran from you, <clears throat> you pursued him. And even as we turn away from you every day, you pursue us. You're full of grace. You came to live among us. You did the hard thing so that we could have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. We pray that we would understand this as we look ahead to Christmas and that we would focus on you. We pray this in Jesus' name.